So a book that's come out is a really interesting read, and it's all about how nature can help to fix a faulty brain. In fact, that's the title, The Cactus Surgeon, Using Nature to Fix a Faulty Brain, and it's by Hannah Powell. I'm very pleased to say that Hannah Powell joins me now. Hannah, just start off by telling us a bit about that title. How did you come to the title of The Cactus Surgeon? <laughs> it's a good question. So I was part of a book writing group that I joined in lockdown, and we were you know, kind of doing polls on, on Facebook of what about this title and what about this title. And, and I came up with The Cactus Surgeon because that's what I fleetingly wanted to be when I was about six years old. So I would sit in our kitchen um, and kind of gouge rotten bits out of cactus and try and attach, reattach kind of broken off limbs with cocktail sticks and things like that. Um, luckily, it didn't last long, but the, the name, I thought, was quite unique. There's not many of us about. <laughs> it, it's so, yeah. very distinctive, isn't it, the name? So. It is, it is. That's it, yeah. do, do you have a passion for cactus at all, or cacti? I do. I do love cactus. I, I um, I've actually got a cuddly cactus sat next to me now. That's a thornless one, believe with no prickles, believe it or not. But no, I, I'm uh, growing up um, as I did next to Perrywood Garden Centre. I have a huge passion for plants um, in general. So over the years, I've had all sorts of obsessions with different plant groups. And that's the thing, isn't it? Your parents owned and ran Perrywood Garden Centre in Tittree. Yep. And you're still involved with the business now. So yep. so you you had that kind of unique upbringing in that sort of environment. That's right. Yeah, we were very, um, very lucky. I lived there from the age of six till I went off to university. And um, in many ways, it was a very idyllic childhood. You know, we had kind of four acres to run around in. There was myself and my two young brothers, my mum and dad. And we were very connected with the seasons. You know, knew all the plant names, both the wildflowers and those those in the nursery as well. And yeah, very connected to the to the natural world without even realising that was just normal for us. You know, we talked about the weather every day. <laughs> it was the conversation around the kitchen table every every night. You know, what was growing, what was looking good, what was flowering. You know, what was happening. Um, so yeah, very normal to talk about that stuff. And that's where we get into what the book is about a bit. Mm. Because you then went yes. to London. You moved to London I did. for work. Yeah, so so I did a degree in horticulture and then I moved to London just because a friend was there and offered me in, in a room in her house. And um, I thought I'd go there for a year or two and, you know, ended up there for 10 years, as you do. And I worked really hard. I had a very kind of strong work ethic, having grown up in, in a family business. And I threw myself into work and I threw myself into play as well. So I drank far too much. I didn't really kind of look after myself I think the idea of well-being wasn't around back in the noughties like it like it is now um, I re wasn't really aware of what was happening um, and I um, eventually suffered burnout and got something called functional neurological disorder which is actually they call it the most common condition you've probably never heard of so you're more likely to get diagnosed with FND at a neurology clinic than you are to get diagnosed with um, MS or Parkinson's and really simply what it means is that your brain sends the wrong signals to your body. So in different people, it can have a whole variety of symptoms. Um, mine were um, twitches, tremors. Um, so my limbs would um, kind of, my arms would, would fly out in response to sound or, or touch, which is obviously very distressing. Um, other, and actually, now I've researched a bit more about FND. Um, actually, I was pretty lucky. I had it on the milder end. Um, some people um, can suffer even paralysis, blindness, um, seizures, those kind of things. Um, so, yeah, so I, so I suffered that. And it, what happened was I was off work for six months. Um, I lived in a flat 
and I kind of reconnected with nature. I, it took quite a long time to be diagnosed. It was quite a stressful, um, uncertain time. I didn't know where my health was going. Um, you know, my lifestyle had kind of stopped overnight. So I found myself gravitating towards nature again, and I made myself get out of the flat every single day, and I told myself I had to take one good photo every day. Um, we didn't have cameras on smartphones back then. It was um, a proper camera. And I'd get out, and it was generally nature that attracted my attention. And it was those small details that maybe other people were rushing past in their haste to get to work or, or school. Whereas I would stop, and I was walking very slowly, you know, to start with. I would stop and look at um, water droplets on a leaf or, you know, the spring blossom coming out, bits of bark, anything that kind of caught my eye. And when you're going through an uncertain health journey, I think it's really important to have something to get you out of your head because it can be all-consuming and quite isolating. So those patches of kind of looking at nature in the daytime when everyone else was at work and, you know, getting on with their lives just took me away from that negative kind of place um, for a while. So, I, I, you know, I did other things to help me um, heal as well. I had acupuncture, cranial osteopathy, counselling, um, but definitely nature played its part in that mix to try and get me to a better place and, and ultimately recover. And nature is such a fascinating thing. Plenty of environmentalists talk about sort of green prescriptions mm. for help. And and we've heard this week that actually the noise of birdsong, research has shown, can actually help make people feel happier. Yeah. And were you just sort of reconnecting with what you I, really knew, what, what you really were about? I, I think subconsciously I was, yes. I think I, I didn't... There was there weren't these studies back then. I mean, now the, the evidence is just stacking up every month. There seems to be a new survey out. You know, um, even being surrounded by, um, you know, in a room with timber or, you know, it doesn't even have to be real nature. Actually having pictures of um, na natural scenes around you can literally lower your blood pressure, um, you know, lower your heart rate. You know, so it's all these studies coming up. But back then that wasn't a thing. Um, mm. So I think I just kind of instinctively was drawn back to nature, having had that in, in my childhood. Um, and I think had I not had that in my childhood, would I have found it? Maybe I would have, um, but it definitely was, it felt, it felt like coming home, I suppose, in a way. It felt like that's what I needed to be to be nurtured by. Mm. And just going into woodland can so up your mood, I found, you know. Oh, absolutely. So. And I think we all found it during lockdown, didn't we? There was a mass, yeah. the whole country was kind of like, goodness me, we need our green spaces, whether you're in a town or a city, you know, to find out, you know, to find those patches of wildlife on, on their doorstep and I suppose that's what I was doing back then was um, I was lucky I lived near um, some docks in the River Thames so I had, had the water um, as well as some woodland and people's gardens that I would enjoy um, and yeah water is very soothing as well. Mm. And you got married and you moved back to mm. Essex didn't you? I did yes I think I got to the point where I was just tired of being in London I I suffered fatigue for a long time after I was ill, and I, I still have to manage um, my health, if you like, more than maybe some other people do. Um, and I was just being drawn out to Essex, and my husband and I, or, you know, or fiancé at the time, wanted a family, and I wanted to raise um, a family in the environment that I, closer to what I grew up in. Um, so that was a big part of it as well. So, yeah, we've been back here now for 10, ten years. Fantastic. And I suppose the interesting question to put to you then, Hannah, is... You mentioned there about the connection with nature. Would you ever astroturf a garden? <laughs> Definitely not. 
<laughs> no, exactly. No, 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 I'm quite eco-friendly as well, so the idea of having a, a plastic lawn doesn't a, a, a appeal to me. I know people say that um, in certain situations where things don't grow, and you know, but no, I'm I'm not a personally a fan. I, I've surrounded myself with hundreds of house plants and lots of plants outside, and I yeah, much prefer that. Because indoor plants as well give out oxygen and yeah. purify the air, yeah. don't they? The spider they plant. Do. I mean, they they do. I mean, you'd um, you'd be just as well to open a wi- you know if you open a window, you'll get a lot of air. And obviously in the winter time, you're, you're not doing that so much. Um, and they say that you know things like peace lilies and spider plants and things like that, it's good to have them, you know, particularly in a bedroom environment where, where you're sleeping, etc. But to me, it's more about the look and the feel of them, and even tending for them. You know, I have to take, you know, time out of my day to water them and care for them. And I think that acts as nurturing for something or, or a person, um, you know, makes you feel good about yourself as well. And I, I know other people that have been ill that have read the book have been encouraged to go and buy a couple of plants and just give themselves a distraction from being in a not very good place, which I think is lovely. So, yeah. And I think nature is... Okay, you have to buy a house plant, but nature outside generally is accessible to everyone, isn't it? There's, yeah, any, everyone can access free nature. You can look out the window, even if you're bed-bound, house-bound, if you've got a nice, you know, your chair or your bed is situated, <coughs> excuse me, near the window, you know, just that is going to be uplifting. So, yeah, something I'm very passionate about, as you can probably tell. <laughs> yeah, and but all of this is... There is a bit of a trend, isn't there, that people are actually losing their connection with nature in wider society to some extent? Yeah, I think sometimes, I think some of the things that I grew up with, um, I mean, even back then I felt unusual you know, in my childhood and I knew all the plant names and the wildflower names. And I think that, you know, even the generation before um, my parents, you know, my grandparents' generation, who were much more likely to work the land and the generation before that, you know, they were much more connected with um, the seasons, um, etc., than we're ever going to be. But I think it's great that there is um, this trend to get back into nature and we're, we're seeing it with houseplant sales at Perrywood, we're seeing it with schools wanting to do forest schools and outdoor learning and that kind of thing. And I think there can be much more. I know there was talk of doing a... Um, environment or a natural world kind of GCSE at one point and I, I think something like that would be wonderful I think it's really important because I think if we want to combat climate change and care for our planet then the starting point has got to be understanding nature and working with it rather, rather than against it. Mm. And you mentioned the neurological disorder that you were mm. were diagnosed with um, but there is something about about the seasons and the changing of the seasons that links into our kind of body clocks and seasonal affected disorder. Mm. So do you, yes. do you feel, yeah. feel that sort of change is really important to just our normal well-being? I think so, and I think particularly people that are prone to mental health problems, and I've had depression myself in the past, and I definitely I feel a kind of... Um, I think the, day, the Scandinavians get it right, don't they? In the winter, they do kind of hygge and they kind of bed themselves in with candles and blankets and, you know, good food and that kind of thing. And I think sometimes we just need to kind of work with the seasons rather than regret what we've lost, you know. So as the days get shorter, we do need to find things in the house to kind of brighten things up, you know, fairy lights, whatever it might be. You know, people put their Christmas trees up earlier and earlier, don't they, just to get better kind of um, light it in the house. 
Um, and then in the spring, I definitely, you know, my energy um, really returns. I want to get up earlier. You know, I, c I can see the sun coming through the curtains and it makes me want to get up. So I think it's good. it is good to understand that and, as I say, work with it. And, you know, I mean, some people go to the extreme of um, finding the winter sun, don't they, <laughs> every year. You know, if you're lucky enough to be able to afford that, that's one way of doing it as well. Um, you can also get those lamps that you put on your, your desk to get um, kind of sunlight on you. Um, so I think there's all, all kinds of fascinating things that you can do to um, alleviate the kind of shorter days in the winter. Now, you're the PR manager for Perry Woods Garden Centre, in, and you've got branches in Titree and Sudbury. Yeah. And the book's available at the Garden Centre, isn't it? It is, yes, it is. No, I've got, um, I've got a website with all the, all the details, cactussurgeon.com, um, and it, yeah, it's uh, available at Periwood and other independent bookshops as well. So any independent bookshop, you could get them to order it in. It is available via online retailers. I don't need to say who they are. I'd much rather people go and support an independent um, bookshop or, or garden centre to get it. Now, COVID, there's been an uptick in people going to garden centres to buy things for their gardens. Mm. What have you seen a huge increase in sales of? Oh, it's a good question. So I think um, after lockdown, when we reopened, it was anything people could get their hands <laughs> on. It was just crazy. Um, I think we're seeing people wanting to do projects. So the kind of thing that they pick up on Instagram and they want to recreate in their own garden. So whether it's a wildlife pond um, or, you know, a water feature yeah. or maybe a raised bed with some vegetables in and just kind of that stuff. So we're, we're seeing people come in that don't necessarily know what they're doing. They may be coming in, you know, a bit too early in the year for pond plants because they don't know that we don't kind of sell them till later in the year. And that's great, you know, come in, ask questions. I think that's fantastic. Um, but definitely kind of little projects that they can then share on their social media um, and be really proud of and have that kind of feeling of, I did that, I designed it, I had the idea, you know, I, I got the plants. Um, and now look, look at the bees and birds coming in or what, whatever it is they want to achieve or, you know, brighten up a, a dark spot etc so yeah definitely those little kind of feel like more like kind of little diy product projects in the garden i think and you mentioned independent book retailers there well Perrywoods is an example of an independent garden center mm. so you know people should get out and support their local shops shouldn't they absolutely i think it's too easy these days to just go and order stuff online and it comes the next day in a, in a packet and you know you think of all those vans going around the roads um, it's just crazy, and I think there are some amazing um, bookshops and independent shops and garden centres, you know, in our, in our county. Um, and I think, yeah, we do need to get out and support them. And I, and I what I do try and do with books, for example, and I do this with a lot of my purchasing, um, not at Perrywood because I'm, I'm there all the time, yeah. so I can kind of buy when I want. But other places, I will store up, like like we used to do in the old days, good old days. We used to store up and get a shopping list and then go to a bookshop or I'll, I'll do an online order with them, you know, with, with quite mm. a few books rather than this thing of having to have everything as soon as you think of it. And I think we have just got into this habit of thinking of an idea and then want it the next day. And sometimes it's nice to kind of wait and, you know, go, go actually go shopping and, and support someone with those purchases. And when people go to a garden centre, the sort of things they should be thinking about... Is it native British grown plants are better perhaps than some of the kind of the, the foreign imports if they're thinking not, about? Not, nece 
Not necessarily. There's lots of things to think about. Um, So in terms of attracting pollinated plants, um, uh, sorry, in in terms of attracting pollinating insects, you want plants that have got single flowers that open up that the bees can get into easily, for example. Some of the more bred kind of doubles and things are not so easy for them to get into and and get the pollen and the the nectar out of. Um, But there's lots of non-native plants that are just as good for bees and butterflies and birds and things as as the natives Um, and in terms of where we get our plants from we get them from all over the UK we do get them from Europe as well but actually some of the plants we get from Holland have actually traveled less far than they would from from the north of England or something so I don't Mm. think it's always um, straightforward I mean at the moment we've got um, bare root trees in for example we're just coming to the end of the planting season for for bare root trees but that's a great way to buy because you know you're, you're buying them um, just the tree you know not in a plastic pot etc so there's all kinds of ways we're actually doing a campaign in store at the moment called um, little ways to plant hope so all around the two garden centers we've got little ways that people can change their purchasing habits and help the environment so peat-free compost for example if people haven't tried peat-free compost that's a really great way to support the environment um, and you know, just try different products, and we've got advice to kind of help people do that so that they're not kind of scared about doing that. Um, and there's lots of different examples like that all, all around the garden centres. And I think it is those little small actions that together, if we all do some of those small actions, they are going to add up. You know, they say that the amount of gardens in the UK um, is bigger than the national parks. I don't know if I've got that right, but some, something like that. Yeah, um, so, you know, if we act collectively, I, I do believe that we can we can make a change. And so everyone should really be leaving a little corner that's wild, shouldn't they, in their garden? Absolutely, yeah. So I've got a little patch at the back of um, my back garden that I don't don't mow. And then in my smaller front garden, I've got um, kind of a uh, compost heap around a tree and there's some nettles behind there and I've just got a screen um, and I've got some little bug hotels in, in as well. And just, yeah, not tidy everything up. I think we used to be a nation that gardened obsessively and everything had to be neat and tidy and I think people are realising that um, it's good to leave some weeds it's good to leave that, um, some of those other plants that some of the butterflies will lay their eggs on and the caterpillars need nettles for example if you want butterflies you've got to have a few few nettles and things like that so yeah I think we're gradually learning to be a bit less tidy and, and you can still have your um, more kind of formal and clipped and pruned areas but it's, it's great to have a few wild areas and you can screen them off if you don't want to look at them you don't have to have them on show and when we go to a garden centre we're all familiar with roses and the you know the more traditional kind of flowers Mm. that are on display for sale and things as mature plants is there Mm. something that you think is very underrated that you sell at a garden centre that people should know about that's a really good question gosh where to start um i think grasses are one of my absolute favorites um, there's a gardener called Piet Aldolf. If you, if you Google him, um, you'll see his beautiful designs, and he has a lot of um, perennial plants that come, um, you know, that go away in the winter and that come up again in the spring, mixed with shrubs and grasses. And I think the wonderful thing about grasses is that all through the winter, you get the um, seed heads. So they go brown, but don't cut them down. Leave them throughout the winter, and then as you get that low sun coming through them, um, they look absolutely stunning. Um, what else? Oh gosh, my mind's gone blank now. I think it's, for me, it's about finding the right plant for the right place. So, you know, shady areas, for example, don't have to be boring. There's some beautiful ferns and hostas and tree ferns um, and, and things like that. And it, it's about finding the, the right plants to fit the spot that 
you've got and then you're going to be less disappointed because they're less likely to kind of fail and die um so so yeah and i think um for people that are planting in pots you know go as big as you can and use water butts so that you don't have to use you know your hose too often so yeah i think there's lots you can do in a garden to kind of mix it up climbing annuals as well there's some lovely annuals that you can sow as seeds that will grow up a fence or a trellis and have beautiful colored flowers for the summer so yeah there's a couple of things there to look out for Mm. now one of the innovations i like at perry woods is the drive-through compost area Mm. Uh, because i don't have to get out and lift in the big bag absolutely yeah so that came about during lockdown it was out of necessity really where people we could not get enough compost i mean it was the sales just went through the roof so we wanted to um free up obviously because during covid we were trying to have social distancing etc and we had queues to get into the garden center so we thought right if we get the compost in in the car park it's going to make that easier but actually it's been so popular that um we've it's now a permanent feature at tip tree and we're building a brand new garden center at sudbury next year and we're hoping to have a compost drive through as part of that as well so i think it's a great um uh, example of how actually in adversity you can have innovation <laughs> that's brilliant thank you very much hannah it's been wonderful to talk to you so thank you for your time oh likewise thank you ask me some great questions <laughs> well, i'll try thank you <laughs>